For most of his career, wildlife photographer Florian Schulz has fought to protect the diversity of animal species around the world. Working in the most remote regions of the planet, he's tracked and documented the wild birds of Mexico, big game animals of the African continent, as well as the migratory patterns of caribou in the Alaskan Arctic. And it's in this frozen region, known for its vast featureless landscapes, where Florian has followed and photographed the great polar bears of the Northern Hemisphere. It's really a land of extremes, both in temperatures, but then also in the survival of animals in these harsh environments. And for me, that is so intriguing how the natural world is able to cope and adapt to such extreme places. And I found it anything else but a barren wasteland. With patient study, after long months in the field, Florian has come to a profound understanding of nature's most delicate balance. By observing large animals, muskox, wolves, moose, and grizzly bears, he hopes to make those who see his photographs realize that all these species have a direct relationship with each other, the land, and in no small way, the survival of humanity. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. biannual breakfast meeting of the Conservation Alliance at the 2012 Outdoor Retailer Winter Market in Salt Lake City, Utah, Florian Schulz was the keynote speaker. Shortly after his presentation, he shared with me how he first came to forge an intimate relationship with the harsh and forbidding environment of the Alaskan Arctic. I realized once I gave the land some time, once almost I got invited in, I was starting to be able to see and document things that I've would have never dreamt of seeing. But I have to be honest that you won't go there and immediately just see everything. I mean, it's definitely important that you do spend the time and and you don't have too big expectations because it's a vast open place and wildlife sometimes is very dispersed. I think that's actually one of the most compelling things about your work in that not unlike ice, it takes a long time to develop. You need to slow it down. I'm interested in finding out how it is that you were able to slow yourself down enough to be able to get a full appreciation for the minute changes that you wouldn't necessarily see instantly just by being there. How did you find yourself able to even work in the solitude of that area? I think as a photographer, you have it a little bit easier because if you are dreaming of exceptional images, that kind of really occupies you. So if, if it's a question of how do you get the patience, how do you you know go 
to a remote location year after year, even though you haven't been successful in fighting the caribou, for example, it is because you're envisioning these most spectacular images. And that gives you so much excitement that you're willing to go through the millions of mosquitoes, the freezing temperatures where you're just really suffering. But that fascination with the images kind of lets you endure all of that. But I don't care enough about you know, the suffering <laughs> uh, like that because, you know, you get rewarded with the view of an iceberg underneath the water or, you know, a group of thick-built nurse diving and looking like as if they were penguins, you know, going down into, into the depth of the ocean. So, yeah, it's rewarding and that's why you can endure it. The work that you're doing helped to establish a, a program called Freedom to Roam. And the, the primary premise, as I understand it, is to create wildlife corridors through which animal species can successfully migrate for mating, for the gathering of food. How is it that you came to understand the necessity for the establishment and maintenance of, of wildlife corridors? If you think about Europe and, and, and how chopped up, for example, the last natural areas there are, um, you very quickly realize that any large predators like wolves, grizzly bears, or you know, even things like lynx, they get dramatic reduced, go extinct and so on if these natural areas become smaller and smaller. When I did a lot of work in Yellowstone, I realized that even a park like that, if it's not really connected to other natural areas around it, where, for example, grizzly bears can go beyond the park's borders to find food, like whitebark pine or bison, for example, in the wintertime, if the snow conditions don't allow them to get to the food that they leave the park, if that doesn't work anymore, the animals inside the park suffer, and over time the diversity in the park will go down. Yet at the same time, within the Freedom to Roam project that I've been working on, which is Yellowstone to Yukon, Baja to Beaufort, and even in Mexico, Rainforest to Reef, you have to even think beyond just the simple migration routes. You have to think about that natural areas need to be connected because even plants migrate, even insects migrate. So one has to kind of realize that Nature only does well if it's embedded, if it's a web of life, if it's connected. And I almost call some of these corridors or connection routes almost as if they're the roots, for example, to a national park that give the national park the vitality. And if it doesn't have that embedded interconnectedness with the surrounding natural areas, even the animals in a protected national park, the diversity of animals will go down. And that's actually something that you can see, you can observe. And through the course of your work, I think that what you've done is raised the awareness for even the necessity for such a thing. What is it, do you think, that's most important for people who have the abilities to help establish these corridors? What do they need to know in order to, to maintain the, the stability of these animal populations? I think what everybody needs to know is that if we want to maintain beautiful large fauna around, like big mammals, whether it's bison, elk, moose, and grizzly bears, wolves, any of these spectacular megafauna, we need to think in a new way, which is connectedness, interconnectedness, wildlife corridors. So I think the next most important step is that we establish a term. That's why I've been promoting the term national corridor, because what I figure is, for example, with Yellowstone in 1872, the first national park was created, and it was first time a term national park now the idea has spread around the entire world and we have national parks everywhere if we could do this for wildlife corridors and call them national corridors or national wildlife corridors and define it 
how a corridor needs to look. And it could even have certain you know, land use happening there. But the most important thing is that the habitat gets protected. If we could establish national corridors as a term, define it, then that idea could spread around the world. So I think these are the two really important things. You travel with your wife, Emile, through some pretty dangerous areas, and you had the opportunity to interact with quite a few different animal species. What was that relationship like in terms of of working with your wife to both take the pictures and also to study the animals in these areas? Because often I'm out for seriously months at a time. It would be terrible if Emile, my wife, and I wouldn't often go out together because I wouldn't see her for several months. To be out there together as a team is really wonderful because you may see something beautiful out, you may discover a bird, you may have an observation of a behavior of an animal, and you can share it with your partner. And just by sharing it, by wording it, the whole experience becomes even more special, more beautiful. And you will be able to recall it later on, too, and recall this, this beautiful experience that you both share together. Now, of course, sometimes people say, you know, how is it possible? You might sometimes are together 24 hours a day for several months at a time. You know, how come you're not hating each other or like screaming at each other all the time? But I think the passion for just being outdoors as well as, you know, for the wildlife connects us so well that we're so excited about observing the animals that the other issues that normally might come up are, are just not very big. Is there anything in particular that you've learned or any life lessons that you've come away with personally from your work both as a photographer and as a conservationist? I think if you're in conservation and if we look at the status of the planet right now, often it can be really, really depressing. And at the same time, we know that we humans are only a very unimportant thing in regards to life on earth if we think long term that I sometimes now dare to relax a little bit and say you know what we can't manage or change everything if we keep ruining this planet this way who we will hurt at the end is us as human beings but I've now translated it into a more philosophical and ethical uh, fight let's say because I want to fight for keeping the diversity of life on this planet but more because I find we as humans should really understand that that is one of the greatest value and the greatest beauty of this planet so even though you know if we keep destroying this earth the earth will recuperate if we think long term in tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of years but right now i feel a responsibility especially thinking of my child that i want to do whatever i can to fight to maintain this beautiful diversity in this planet Florian Schulz produces a wide variety of wildlife photography multimedia. Check out his latest video called Visions of the Arctic. You can learn more about his work online at visionsofthewild.com. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by new contributing artist Kelly Carpenter. The Joy Trip Project is made possible with the support of sponsor Patagonia. Check out their latest conservation and new media initiatives on their blog, thecleanestline.com. Additional support is also provided by the outdoor retailer Winter Market. Discover new technologies, products, and services for your next great adventure, all under one big tent. Visit outdoorretailer.com.
Thanks for listening, but you know, I want to hear from you. So please drop me a note with your questions, comments, and criticisms to info at joytripproject.com. Until next time, take care.